I think that leadership, people often think, well, I see this leader and they're so successful. I must need to be like them. And the reality is, no, you don't. You need to be you. Welcome to the Veterinary Financial Podcast, where we discuss financial freedom and whole life success. I'm Meredith Jones, a veterinarian and financial planner. And I'm Willie Birot, a lab animal specialist and a money nerd. This episode is sponsored by CareCredit, the popular third-party payment provider. They are also supporters of the Veterinary Financial Summit. Visit carecredit.com to learn more. Our guest today is Dr. Mary Buss. She is a veterinarian and the VP of Veterinary Operations at Hometown Veterinary Partners. Mary, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's lovely to be here. All right. So Mary, you have had a really unique career journey. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about it and then also how your interest in business and leadership evolved. Well, that's a very good question. And one that when I started out graduating from vet school, I really didn't anticipate that my career would take the turns that it has taken, but they've been interesting along the way. So I started out as a general practice veterinarian in a large practice in downtown Chicago. And as I was starting out as a new veterinarian, I was getting all these questions by team members around different things having to do with the practice, with processes, with how to connect with HR, you know, what should we be doing about our production and things that I didn't feel qualified to answer. And quite honestly, I said, I'm just a veterinarian. I'm a new grad. How do I know these answers? And yet this doctor who owned this practice, the two partners, they were very successful at what they had done, but they had done so by the skill set they just innately had. And so what happened was along the way, I kind of started thinking, I need more knowledge. I don't know exactly what I want to do with my career. My husband, who was a classmate of mine, was heading off to a residency in internal medicine, which turned into also a residency in oncology. And during that time, I said to myself, what can I be doing? I need to figure out what it is that I want to do with my career path. I felt like I was at that three or four years into practice, and I really didn't know what my next steps would be. And while he was in a university setting, I said, you know, maybe I need more business knowledge. I knew I had siblings who had been in the business world, and they always naturally got MBAs. I had a dad who was a physician, and along the way, he said, after 30 years of practice, I want to do something different. And he got an MBA. And I thought, hmm, this seems like something that might be good for a veterinarian to have. We build our own hospitals often, and we are leaders of hospitals, yet we aren't really in my generation. We weren't given any kind of business knowledge when we were in school. And so I thought, this is a great opportunity to just learn more. I didn't know at the time what I would do with it. I just said, I just love to learn. I'm going to try to see how this applies to my career as a veterinarian. And so as I finished up my MBA, just different opportunities arose. My husband was starting to go into private practices on the specialty side. And so people started approaching me saying, hey, you've got an MBA. Would you want to lead this hospital? Would you want to you know, work for us? And I'd say, oh, maybe that sounds interesting. I think I could do that. And so I started out with a large multi-specialty hospital that wanted me to be their hospital administrator. And I realized, wow, I don't have to be the expert around everything but I bring a different perspective on how to help services and help doctors get where they want to go, grow their service, have better workflow, manage through communication issues, things like that. And I found that was just equally a great challenge as being a veterinarian, yet I wasn't leaving the veterinary medicine behind. I was able to be immersed in hospitals, but leading and supporting teams. And it just became a very rewarding opportunity. And along the way, just by natural right and left turns that happened along the way, 
We ended up building a practice with a couple of partners, a multi-specialty emergency hospital in St. Louis. And so I got more opportunity to learn how to be a leader and, and how to be an owner and what does that entail? And so that just kind of navigated itself into us eventually as the profession has changed, right? We've seen the transition in the veterinary profession with a lot of larger groups coming in and the opportunity arose for us to join a larger group. And we thought, well, this would be a great way to collaborate and have growth for our hospital, but also learn from others across the country. And when that happened, two months later, they joined a much bigger group. And that transition for our team, well, to say it wasn't as good as I'd hoped for. And so that was my family. And I wanted to do right by them. But I felt that I was, in a sense, handicapped because changes had come and I hadn't anticipated them. And so I became very passionate around how we support teams as they go through these transitions in veterinary medicine. And so I subsequently took an opportunity to help with lead integrations with another group of multi-specialty and ER hospitals where they were honest about, we're not doing this job very well. How can we do it better? And so it was an opportunity once again for growth to be able to say, how can I help support doctors and their teams through transitions as they join larger groups? And so that opportunity led me to doing that for another five years and really finding that growth to be amazing. And we also started building hospitals, which was fun. It Once again, another way to support doctors and their dreams of building hospitals in new markets. And then eventually, how I got to where I am today was someone introducing me to Carrie Camba and saying, hey, she's got a unique vision on another way to help support on the general practice side of giving equity and helping doctors build wealth and also be leaders in their hospitals and focus really on the mentorship piece, which I'm passionate about. I spend a lot of time mentoring leaders in all of my roles to become medical leaders, but to become leaders in their teams. And so I've continued to be passionate about that. And that was an opportunity to do it in another interesting way that helps support the veterinary profession, because we want doctors and their teams to be a part of the conversation as we navigate the changes in our profession. And we want to be there to support them and give them opportunities too. And Meredith, I know you're passionate about this, opportunities for them from a wealth building and ability to take care of themselves and their families. That's how we make this a sustainable profession long-term. Mm-hmm. That was a great introduction. Certainly a lot of pieces that we need to discuss a little bit further. But as you mentioned, you know, you did an MBA. So people start leaning on you like, hey, how do I manage? What do I do? Even though we became veterinarians, and that's pretty much what we were trained on, I can't remember having a business lecture in vet school, unless the VBMA brought somebody. So you have experience with mentoring medical directors, which I talked to quite a few, and they just fall on this medical director spot, never have managed anybody in their lives, and now they have to decide where everybody in the hospital goes. How can veterinarians become better mentors? So that's a really good question. And I think when you're a medical director, you need mentorship too, right? So you shouldn't be going into that role and responsibilities without setting goals, setting honest conversations about where your skill set is today and where you want to get tomorrow, right? So it's important that we build mentorship programs that are concrete, meaning they're concrete in that there's a plan in place, but they are fluid and unique to the individual we're mentoring. So we cannot make one size fits all. We can have a template that says, for sure, I'm going to be having huddles with you every week. I'm going to be having sit down conversations with you on a monthly basis. We're going to have goals laid out by a quarter, right? Every 30, 60, 90 days, what are our goals for you? 
And the goals for an associate versus a leader, right, are slightly different. How much of this is clinical development and how much of this is professional development? And with that professional development, every doctor needs soft skills development, communication development. That's a lot of what we do for a living. And we don't talk enough about it, right? How to be a good, compassionate communicator in a room. I have had often doctors call me onto the floor and say, I've got this upset client and I want to talk through this with you. I think they need to talk to you. And I'd say, well, you know what I really think they need? I think they need to talk to you. But let's walk through how to get you feeling comfortable with the tools to walk back into that room and be that person that they can talk to. And so it's about making sure you have a good plan. You don't have to have all the answers. There are a lot of resources out there to help you build the plan. What you do have to do is make it unique for that individual with goals set, not just for the first six months of their career. It's for the next six months and it's for every six months after that, right? Because our goals change as we develop as veterinarians or as leaders. And so if you're a medical director, I might be focusing my mentorship program slightly differently for you around the leadership pieces that you need. And also, how do we provide the best of care across the hospital as a whole versus just how do you do that clinically? When I'm an associate veterinarian, my goals might be different. They might be initially very clinical, and maybe I have a passion for a certain type of care that I want to learn more about acupuncture. I want to do these things. So we got to adjust your mentorship program to get you the resources to do so. But you might want to be an owner someday. So we better had be planning for how to help you become a leader and how to give you some of those skills. Let's get you into the conversations and watching how we build out budgets every year. Let's get you into the conversation of how we look at when you want a new piece of equipment, how do we make sure we can afford it and then plan for its successful utilization in the hospital? So there's lots of things we can do and drive based on your interests. So setting goals together as a mentor and a mentee and also setting expectations of what a mentor and a mentee does sets up for success, right? If you don't know what your expectations are, it's very hard for you to succeed. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Setting expectations on both sides, I think is really important. And, you know, what you were saying about ongoing mentorship, it's really missing in a lot of practices, you know, where, okay, maybe there's a mentorship program for the first six months or a year when you first graduate. But then what about when you've been out for five years? What about when you've been out for you know, seven, even 10 years, you know? And that's where you have to set those goals. And you need to say, what is my first year? What do you want to do? When you're sitting down as a mentor, you should be asking people where they want to go in two to five years. They don't have to have an answer. But the more you talk about it, the more they start thinking about it. And then we're better prepared to support them. If we want veterinarians to stay engaged in their roles, if we want them to stay in the profession, we have to help them get where they want to go. And if you told me when I started that I'd take all the right and left turns I took, I'd say, oh, you're crazy. But it was natural when it occurred. At the time, it was an opportunity and I took it. And it seemed like, hey, this seems like a worthy stretch opportunity for me. And we need to support our doctors and their teams in those opportunities. Because if they don't have that, sometimes they won't take it. Mm -hmm. Okay, whether you're a new grad or whether you're a more experienced vet, what do you think they should be looking for in a mentor? So I think initially is a plan, right? So first, when people are looking for mentors, they are obviously looking for some core things. Do they have the skill set I'm looking for for a mentor, right? Is it that I'm looking for to be a great communicator and Dr. X is a great communicator? 
Or is it I'm looking for clinical skill sets and Dr. X has those skill sets? So those can be some of the starting points. And are they a person who is a good communicator, compassionate, and I think will have a commitment towards my mentorship? But when I'm a new grad and I'm looking at all of these opportunities that are out there, or I've been out for five years or 10 years, and I'm looking at a lot of opportunities, it's not just that looking at the individuals who you might not be able to tell exactly what they're going to be as a mentor, but it's also looking, do they have a concrete plan? Can they show you that I've got this committed plan that is going to help you not just look at the first six months or 12 months of your career with me? in our hospital, but also I'm willing to invest in you long-term. And I think asking those core questions about what that mentorship program looks like, what kind of time are we going to spend together? What kind of touch points are we going to have in this process? That's really important to ask because if they say, oh yeah, we just kind of mentor you as you go, that doesn't sound like much of a plan, right? And it doesn't mean that they're not great at what they do, but you really want to make sure that there's a commitment towards you. And we look at it like You have to have a mentor has expectations and a mentee has expectations because if both of you don't come to the table wanting this, it's not going to be successful. Yeah, completely agree. So you have a role in, you know, private practice, but you also have a role in academia. Can you tell us about your role with the Dean Board at University of Missouri? Sure. So that role is really a volunteer role. Years ago, Dean Henry, when she had started as the Dean of the University of Missouri, she had asked me to be a part of their strategic advisory board. And it's an amazing give back to your university, right? It one keeps you connected and learning where the struggles are, where the successes are, and how those of us coming from different areas of the veterinary profession can come together and help support. So really, we're there just to support and give feedback on ideas they may have for growth, ideas they may have for what they're going to be looking at, whether it be, you know, they're going to have accreditation coming up, they're going to have growth of resources outside of the hospitals. And so what I learned from that experience is, wow, a lot about what it is and what it takes to be successful and keep veterinary schools running and profitable enough to support the mission that they continue to have. But it also, you realize what skill sets each of you in the industry bring to each other. So what you find in the profession is, our great respect for those who have spent time supporting the AVMA, those that have spent time in the private sector in all different roles and responsibilities, how we can come together and bring advice and support to the university that we so greatly care about in a way that is just mutually beneficial, I think. And so that has been a real blessing. And I've tried to, in any capacity I can, support that. And this year, you know, a lot of schools will utilize alumni to help with evaluation of students that are applying to the school. So we support in that way when we have the opportunity to help with that as well. So just any give back we can do, because ultimately, I want to support the profession and I want to make sure that we're doing what we can. I appreciate that. I did my residency at University of Missouri and Dr. Henry was starting at that time. Oh, what a small world we live in. And she is an amazing, I know she's now a step back from that role and is going back, kind of assessing what she'll be doing clinically. And Leah Cohn is such a great interim dean. I'm excited about her role. She has made such a difference in our admissions process over the last couple of years, a more holistic view of our students coming in. And I am really excited about the impact she'll have as well. But Dean Henry was one of a kind. She truly is. Great energy. Yes, she has great energy and small world. My husband was her first resident. 
so oh, wow. oncology resident. So we have a long history with Carolyn Henry. So Mary, so going back to the leadership skills that you were talking about earlier, you have a vet come to you who says that, like, hey, I really want to improve my leadership skills. What tips or what sort of training would you recommend for them? Well, I think that our profession has gotten so much better at providing so many wonderful opportunities for leadership training. So, you know, whether it be AVMA leadership conferences, AHA resources, all of the different large meetings out there now have additional pieces to their meetings around leadership. I also think that if you're working, depending on who you're working with or in your hospitals, there is much more resources available depending on the organization you work with, right? So I took every opportunity there was for leadership development in all of the different organizations I've worked with or for. And what I've really enjoyed about that is it opens my eyes to other resources, whether it's reading a new book that is a great book to read, or it is to talk with someone who is a great leader and saying, hey, what can I learn from you? So it's not just about doing continuing education. We all know that that only goes so far, right? If you want to be a great leader, look at some great leaders you know and see if they would be willing to mentor you because ultimately or what they would suggest is some great resources they've used over the years to build their leadership skills. Because it isn't just one thing. We're all individuals, right? What I bring to the table in my leadership style, there are those strengths I have that maybe are unique to what I have, but I have opportunities too. And so I work on those in my own way. And so each of us comes with different opportunities and innate strengths. And so we want to be able to look at that and say, what kind of leadership training besides the general leadership of like, oh, gosh, I want to learn some more about how to be a good leader, communication skills, all those kind of things. But then it's really diving into learning about yourself and mentors help you do that to be able to say, here are my goals. And then they work with you and they're able to say, hey, here's an area where I think we can help to build more strength. It's not even a strength. It's more about capabilities, right? As we build over time we learn and we become more capable at something, just like clinical skills. We don't learn those overnight. We might be comfortable in an OR or not comfortable in OR, but that doesn't mean we can't both be great surgeons. So I think that leadership, people often think, well, I see this leader and they're so successful. I must need to be like them. And the reality is, no, you don't. You need to be you. But you need to learn how to lead people in a way that focuses on those people you're leading. And if you focus on being humble enough to learn how to be a better leader, how to learn from your experience, learn from your mistakes, because that's what we do clinically, we should do the same when we're leading people. And then you're willing to try to keep growing and taking resources as they're available to you and experiences as they're available to you, then you'll be successful as a leader, just like you are a clinician. So once you become a leader, and I want to kind of go back to the medical director component, because again, I've seen this quite a bit where this person is excelling in their position and, hey, do you want to become a medical director? Yeah, and in a multi-specialty practice that may be a surgeon, an internist, whatnot, they're going to be taken off the floor where they make quite a good amount of money to do a lot of admin stuff that most hospitals that I've, again, the experience that I have, they don't know how to compensate for that. And you pretty much take a pay cut becoming a medical director, unless your hospital has a good system, of course. So, you know, how do you compensate that? So really good question. And ultimately, a lot of organizations will set up so that you're exactly right. You have a salary 
and then maybe you have a stipend for doing the medical director role. So it's a give and take. So what opportunities you have in some organizations, and it's part of why I joined Hometown, is the ability for hospital directors and really partner doctors and put the same roles and responsibilities, right? But why am I calling you a partner? Because you're getting granted equity for helping build a hospital, right? If you are doing something like that and able to build equity, then you have a long-term gain, right? Which is in the organization as a whole. So being able to have opportunities in organizations where you can build equity for the work you put in to build the hospital and the team, which means you're the leader, like you talked about. You may not be clinically leading from a revenue driving. What you're leading is mentorship. Is that driving revenue? Of course it is. If we're driving retention, doctors, teams that are happy, they're able to practice the level of medicine they want to practice. You're there to support the ability to have best practices, to have the resources available, but be financially secure. In other words, we have to be financially secure to be able to reinvest back in the organization. And the way you do that is by, if you have great care, you have great culture, you have great teams, and they're happy and engaged, they tend to drive ultimately great care and client experience, right? And that ultimately drives profits back into hospitals. You do have to be financially responsible, right? We all know this. You have to make sure you don't leave things on the shelf that expire every week, right? I mean, there are certain caveats. I used to say, okay, have you used those plates in X amount of time? Or have you used that box of suture? I mean, that's not the brand you like, so we shouldn't be buying it, right? So there are certain things that we can be smart about. But Ultimately, when you're talking someone at the role of a medical director or above, it's about how they can build equity outside of salary. You're exactly right. Because ultimately, the model's broken on how it wants to compensate for leaders of hospitals. I'll take my husband as an example. You take him and you have him be a leader of a hospital versus driving patient experience and client experience in the room. Which one is he happier at? right? Some people are happier in the role of leading people. That's where they want to go. It just fills their bucket. I didn't know it would fill my bucket, but it does. The ability to take care and support people and know that they have grown from that experience or been able to provide the care that they wanted to provide because of what I supported them through is rewarding to me. I don't need a thank you. I don't even need them to know. I know innately that that has made them successful or helped make them successful. They're the ones who drive their success. But if I can help give the tools to help them get there, then I feel rewarded. So if we're going to elevate people into these positions, we have to figure out how to do so where it's sustainable for them. They have to still raise a family or just want to retire someday. Either one of those is valid in our, right? We sit as a profession forgetting about the fact that we eventually want to retire and we want to have worked hard and have some equity to buy a home to do all these other things. And so I do think we need to change that model. I think it's why we moved to that hospital director, partner, doctor with equity opportunities. So they had the ability to go in and ultimately still keep a salary. That doesn't change, but they have equity based on the success of that hospital. So if we all succeed together, then the equity is worth more. If we don't succeed, it's not. Now, other models that others might have out there are around profit sharing, other different opportunities. So there's different ways to slice the spread. There's no one that's right or wrong, right? It's all about how do we make sure that there's opportunities for individuals and their growth. And so I look at it in that bucket, really, because I don't think salary alone or stipend alone will keep people in that role. If you notice what happens, we lose them. We mm -hmm. lose them. They'll go to a regional role. Sometimes that's more financially beneficial for them. Why? Because potentially there's some profit sharing or some other bonus structure. 
So if we look at how we can put structures in place that help them support the hospital, because some individuals, that's where they want to stay. And we need quality people in those roles to be able to have it be sustainable. Yeah, agreed. So that said, you know, what are some options out there for veterinarians who want to become practice owners that weren't out there a decade ago? So I think this is the tough situation we're in, right, as a profession. We have our new grads coming out with student loans higher than any of us could have anticipated in my generation occurring. And so the ability for them to freely think, I want to take out another loan so I can buy a practice, a lot of them are saying, that's not what I want to do. Now, that opportunity is there for them. There are loans out there, and Meredith can speak to this. There's flexibility based on where you are in your career, what they anticipate is your capable production to be able to get loans from banks. So I don't want to discard that that's an opportunity for every veterinarian and that we would love to see more veterinarians in ownership positions in veterinary medicine. It's just an ability for them to continue to have a voice, an ability for them to be able to have wealth building and all of those important things that we've already talked about. Other opportunities are organizations like ours. The landscape is changing where granted equity is a part of the conversation. Now, there's lots of different ways to slice this. So they just need to do their homework when they're talking to different groups about what is available to me. What does that structure look like? What does that equity look like? Or profit sharing, what does it look like? Profit sharing is not really going to get you to ownership. What you really want is the ability to actually have equity. Some of that equity might be in the hospital itself that you're working in, or it might be in the organization as a whole. And so once again, Meredith can talk to this point very well, a small piece of a big pie sometimes is a better piece than a big piece of a small pie. But sometimes either one of them is very successful. So it's about learning what opportunities are out there and not assuming that they aren't there. And I think that's the most important part is starting to have the conversations, talking to individuals in organizations like mine or anywhere in the veterinary profession and talking to other veterinarians about what opportunities are out there. You'll see that in a lot of social media where individuals are talking about, I'm thinking about buying and I'm seeing much more of a support for doing so. And I really want them to have opportunities. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today is because I think to change this dynamic and head us in the right direction on retaining quality veterinarians and leaders in the veterinary profession, we have to change what we're doing. You mentioned two different words that I kind of want you to expand on. So you mentioned profit sharing and equity. Can you provide examples of what each of those mean to you? Right. So sometimes there can be goals set. And if you meet those goals, you might have some profit sharing, meaning you get a percentage of profits that might come your way from your hospital, right? And those can be goals set almost like bonuses can be set, but they're different, right? Profit sharing is set up a little different based on the profits that are seen at the end of X window of time. Equity is really about a piece of the organization's equity, and that's a long-term thing. So that's not something that you're getting distributions on on a yearly basis. You're getting that at the point that either a recapitalization or a sale occurs, in which case then you have equity in something and then you get that equity out, right? Just no different than when you build a hospital yourself and you're building equity in that hospital. Let's say you've built it on the ground up with a loan or however you've supported it. And then at the end, you've built some level of equity in it when you go to sell it and it's worth a certain amount. 
So equity comes as a longer term play, right, in building that. And then it occurs when something either recapitalizes within that organization or when the sale occurs in that organization. And when you offer equity, is it a percentage or is it stocks? So it's typically a set value associated with that hospital and split between potentially that hospital director and partner doctor. So a set amount of equity for that hospital that goes into the larger organization. And then the goal is that dollar amount increases in value as the organization grows. And therefore, you're hoping you're getting multiples on that, right? <laughs> Hopefully. That's your goal. You know, so it's very straightforward in what that looks like. Thank you for that. Okay. And so, Mary, you explained your career path earlier, and definitely you've followed a career path that ventures outside of what is traditional. And so what advice do you have for veterinary professionals out there, whether it's vets, technicians, managers, folks who are interested in a non-traditional role, but who don't know where to start? So as far as students, use the resources in your universities when you're going through school. You know, the VBMAs that are out there, they have lots of great resources. They bring in lots of great speakers. There's more financial opportunities to learn more while you're in school. There are some programs that you can do a dual. I think it's hard enough to get through vet school. I don't know if I would have been strong enough to do like an MBA on top of it, like some, and I know the MPH has occurred. But I do think that the resources are out there. They really just need to think about what opportunities they want and start talking to people in those areas and find out if that's an area that's of interest to them. So someone like me, I would want them just to reach out. And I talk to students and new grads on a regular basis. And sometimes they're not even interested in small animal veterinary medicine, right? They're interested in mixed animal. And I'm like, go, go, we need more mixed animal or large animal, right? You want to support them in whatever they want to do. But talking to people who are doing things that are a little different, non-traditional, because we don't talk about it enough. I think we're doing a better job. I think universities are doing a better job. Uh, colleges of veterinary medicine are. but. I think it's about talking about the non-traditional roles and talking to people who are in them and seeing if it has interest for you. Because ultimately, you might talk to someone and then you go, it sounded really good on paper, but that doesn't interest me at all, right? And so I think it's about just taking an opportunity to research it. Awesome. Man, you're a wealth of knowledge. I love your take on ownership. Mm -hmm. I definitely know a lot of vets that will benefit from from picking your brain because it's the same question comes over and over and again i'm a practice owner nobody wants to own anymore you know what am i going to do i don't want to sell to private equity or large firms like vca whatnot so how can people get in touch with you so anybody can reach out to me and you know my email is marybuss at hometownvetpartners.com i'm also on linkedin I also, in almost any of my emails, et cetera, I always have my cell phone. I just believe in us being able to communicate and support each other across the profession. Anyone who just wants to talk through, I'd be happy to talk to them because the more we support each other, the more we keep going where we need to go as a profession. And I think that's important. I believe I don't have all the answers by any stretch, but I usually can at least say I know or I don't know somebody who might have them. So my goal has always been to try to get people the resources they need. That's part of leadership. You got to realize you don't know everything. You just have to be able to help them get there. And that sometimes is externally going, hey, I would try this resource. They might have what you need. Awesome. All right. So this has been a great discussion, Mary. So that brings us to our last question. What is your best advice for our listeners? 
I think keep curious, keep growing. And I think don't be afraid of the left and right turns in your career. It's never as straight a journey as you think, but those turns are often the unexpected that can be as rewarding as that straight path, or if not more rewarding. So just don't give up on opportunities and your dreams. Take the time and don't be afraid of taking another turn. All right. Excellent advice. Mary, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to both of you. You as well. Bye. If you liked this episode, click the follow or subscribe button. Until next time, take care and continue your path to financial success. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a legal or financial professional before making any investment decisions.